enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's a Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem. I didn't write a funny thing. I suck. Uh, that rare gem. Uh, knocking over a beer bottle saying, oh, goff, I have it. No. <laughs> At the back of your video <laughs> store shelf. Uh this week, uh, we continue Steve's the King, baby, from 1989. It's Pet Cemetery. Tim, what pet would you have buried in the Pet Cemetery? Well, maybe it could have been that uh, hidden gem that's half Mick Mac himself. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> no, um, well, funny you should ask, because I have had very, very few pets, because... Um, my sister was so allergic, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Like, I, I don't even know if there's a word for She's just allergic to everything. Yeah. To, to the point where she would brush her own hair and, like, break out in hives. Yikes. Like, I mean, so there was no, there were no birds, there were no cats, there were no dogs. Um, I did have a fish named Brian. All right. That was my first pet. I had a hermit crab. Uh, named Pike after uh, Luke Perry's uh, character in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film. Um, but I haven't had much in the way of pets. And what's funny about that. What a that, great question I well, came up with then. <laughs> so uh, which of uh, the fish or the crab? Which would you? <laughs> what's funny is that. Um, what do you think would make a fun pet resurrected from the pet cemetery? Well, I, you know, I um, I did. Well, I did watch an animal die and that get then get brought back to life. Wow. So um, I was working in a fast food place where when you know between the rushes you know it's kind of a lull yeah so we would do crazy things like um you'd throw like one of those to go plastic containers into the fryer which was just like immediately <laughs> shrunk it oh like God. down to like just like a minuscule size it's kind of fun um i did have a girl that i worked with that we would you know kind of like flirt a little bit back and forth and then um when it was just she and i there uh, I asked her if, if she wanted to kiss, and then we uh, we kissed when we took out to empty the uh, the grease traps um, by the dumpster. Hot. So it, Hot. Didn't, it didn't really go anywhere. What an unexpected story from you, Tim. Yeah, right. Um, we you know we kissed, and then you know she was just kind of like that. That just really wasn't very good, was it? And I'm just like, well, I mean, we're emptying emptying grease traps. In a dumpster. So it wasn't really the setting for a lifelong romance. But um, one thing we did do was we caught a fly. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we drowned the fly. Yeah. In water. I mean, to the point where it was completely still curled, in the water. Yeah, the legs yes. are curled. It was dead as far as we could tell. And I mean, like minutes went by and it's just not moving. It's not doing it. It's a drown. And then you take the fly out of the water and you put it on, you know, the, where you uh, like put together. Prepare food. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> literally, literally. The place is no longer in business, so don't worry, don't worry. Um, so we put it where people, we, you know, prepare like children's food and stuff, and then you pour a little salt on it. Yeah. Not and a then, little, though. You got to like cover it. Well, essentially. We just, yeah. I mean, it was a, little, a couple aggressive shakes. And then you just wait. And literally within about 30 seconds, that thing started to move again and got up and just flew away. Yeah. So I've seen some. I've only seen it happen one time. Yeah. And the dude like covered it in salt. And then he's like, just wait. And then he like was brushing the salt away. And then boop, the thing pops out, yeah. flies away. I don't know. That's some magic trick I got tricked into, but you did it. It And it, it does work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, just for effect. I would probably bury a fly because at least I knew that like there was a chance of it coming back to life. Are you worried about how aggressive the fly would be then? Well, yeah, I mean, there's I guess. Yeah, there's only so much you can do like as a fly to to bother people. But yeah. it's not like we haven't all been bugged by a fly buzzing in our ear. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, like, that's, what's a more aggressive fly? Yeah. A more obnoxious fly do B- buzz more. <sighs> Who needs that? I feel like if I had a pet cemetery, although we uh, we shouldn't call it the pet cemetery because it's not the pet right. cemetery, obviously. Well, we will call it the pet cemetery. Everyone knows what we're talking about. The Indian burial ground feels better to say pet cemetery. Sure. <laughs> uh, I just would like I want to bury a fish in there. See what that fish is like oh. afterwards. I'm like bury. You know, I. Uh, it, does that lead me to killing animals? I know they're coming back to life. Right. You know, would I intentionally kill a canary just so I could bury it in the pet cemetery, see what happens afterwards? But, but I'll tell you what, though, like that's interesting because and it's it's interesting in almost a cruel way because it is um, it's bringing the fish back to life only to have it in an environment where it right. cannot survive. I know. How does it work? Right. Now, one time I did. and I'm not proud of this. One time I was fishing. Okay, so if you're fishing, yeah. um, we already know that, you know, unless you're, you know, kind of casting and releasing or catching and releasing or whatever, unless you're doing that, like the fish is going to die, right? right? Because, you know, somebody has to it. eat it or whatever. Yeah. I was camping with a friend one time and we were catching fish. We actually with uh, bread, just balled up little bits of bread on the yeah. hook. They'll bite on anything. And um, we'd catch the fish and then we'd lay the fish on a chair and then just put another little ball of bread like right in front of its mouth. (laughs) Just like, I mean, I guess that's awful. Um, Kids, kids, you know, they do the damnedest damnedest You wouldn't do that now. No, 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 no. I, I, yeah. That's cruel. Yeah. Uh, And I can't eat like whole flour bread anymore. So, yeah, it's it would never happen. But uh, wouldn't have the bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the only reason. Um, otherwise. Yeah, of course. Um, but no. I, uh, or maybe you just really shine it on by putting like a communion wafer down in front of it. <laughs> like you can have everlasting life if you could just eat this. Oh. Um, but no, I do love fish uh, and and bread. I miss it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I just I don't know. I sometimes I feel like I've missed out on a part of life by not having a pet, like a family pet that I mean, because I've seen some some people yeah. have some very emotional you thought reactions. about getting a pet. 
I mean, you don't live with your sister anymore, obviously. So right. your excuse is gone. And she now has pets. What the fuck? She adopts greyhounds. She does it on purpose. Very much on purpose. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't because I... It's kind of like I feel like I gave everything that I had to give in raising my daughters, and I just don't have any more to give. Yeah. Yeah. I say get a cat. Cats are, like, super easy. The The, like... Amount of time you have to spend taking care of them versus like the amount of entertainment you get out of them. There's no like larger ratio. I guess it's the box of piss and shit in my house that 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 bothers me. Yeah, you get the. I got one of those robot litter boxes. Okay, like scoops itself with They're a laser awesome. cannon. <laughs> it's got, yeah, it's got a laser <laughs> cannon and nuclear warhead. <laughs> we do have the laser technology. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, that'd be great. Well, and, and, you know, I, I will say this, like, I hope the litter box ever turns against me. Right. <laughs> yeah. That would, boy. Yeah. Of, if no, any, I don't want to start talking about that fucking movie. No, again. no, We're no, done. We won't, no, we won't. Stop. But I mean, if ever there was a machine <laughs> that you didn't want to turn on you, it would be one that is filled with urine and, you know, yeah. And shit. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say this, it is kind of interesting. We can speak to this a little bit later about the concept of, quote-unquote, Indian magic. Yeah. And that's a, f- a really fun topic, and it'll be interesting to talk about that, because I know Yeah, I it's know an how untapped resource. Yep. And and <laughs> whether it's real or not, uh, we'll get into that. No way to find out. Let's find out. Uh, so this is Pet Cemetery from 1989, written by Stephen King, directed by Mary Lambert, stars Dale Midkiff, Fred Gwynn, Denise Crosby cost about twelve million to make. Pulled in about fifty-eight million. It was a hit. It was a oh, big hit. This was a big wow. movie when it came out. I feel. I remember. It was hot. Okay, let's get into Nan. Some then we can get into some spoilers. Lewis Creed has just moved to Maine with his family after taking the physician position at the <laughs> University of Maine. I liked writing that. <laughs> After his daughter's cat is hit by one of the several tanker trucks that drive at a minimum of 85 miles per hour past his house, neighbor Judd takes him to an old Indian burial ground, which brings the cat back to life, albeit with a bit of a temper issue. But when Lewis's son Gage is also hit by a truck, he turns to the power of the cemetery to bring back what he's lost. But, you know, sometimes dead is better. <laughs> Pet cemetery. <laughs> I can't believe it's not better. And that goes. I love the that, main accent. And that goes. That goes for a little bit of a like a general movie. over. Yeah, I can't believe like, it's not better. <laughs> because this is a this is a very interesting movie for you and I to cover because yeah. it is probably the first movie. Well, I had this a little bit with Chainsaw too, but it's. Certainly, probably the first movie that you and I both loved, yeah. uh, you know, years and years ago. And upon, you know, repeated viewing, maybe didn't quite hold up as well as we had once imagined. Yeah, not this time. But yeah, no. this was definitely a movie I watched a lot oh. in the early 90s. I mean, I did it, you know, for the impromptu intro, but our friend Johnny always did that shit with where he knocked the beer bottles over. Oh, yeah. Like, no, who'll do that? Come on. Yeah. I might have murdered your son, Lewis. <laughs> yeah. We quoted the hell out of this. Yes. Yeah. It's a monster, Bill. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, re-watching it, I was like, this movie's kind of dumb. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It, it's And by dumb, it's like it... Um, 
we can all go along with the plausibility. See, here's here's the good thing about this movie for a cynic, and that is any implausibility in that a uh, a once living creature is buried in a certain terrain, and and by it being that terrain is somehow you know brought back to life, it isn't going to like you know that's going to fire up some cynics, right? right. But what the movie has going for it, it's not the it's not the mechanism, it's the desire. Yeah. The desire to where in such a circumstance, even somebody who is led by science or logic would actually be willing to contemplate that because of how serious the 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 situation is. Yeah. Which is your your child is dead. I mean ultimately your child is dead or even your child's pet and how much you care about your child. It would take somebody like a doctor who is rooted in medical science and logic and maybe maybe be enough to push them beyond that because right. of the desire. So that's what is kind of like builds in and sort of automatic not really plausibility but an understandability. Yeah, I can know? get behind it. Right. Like that, yeah. You'd at least try it. <laughs> of course. Worth trying. Yeah. What kind of scientist are you if you don't? Right. <laughs> or parent. <laughs> right. You know, like your child dies and you have the chance to bring it back to life. You might do that. Yeah. You might try it. Even if it wasn't quite the same. Right. But, you know, the ground is sour, so. Yeah. So speaking <sighs> to that. Where do we start on this one? Well, speaking to that, let me let me just speak to that sour ground for a second. Because it's not really mentioned in, I haven't read the book. I don't know if it's mentioned in the, it has to be, I I think, for me to even know this. But it's not the fact that the the natives, that the Micmacs did anything wrong. It's that the soil is. The paddy wax is what. It's the what? (laughs) The paddy wax. The Micmacs. Yeah. The uh, rivals. uh, Paddy wax. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Give the resurrected dog a bone. Right. Thank Uh, you. Oh dear! <laughs> but it's with the per- apostrophe K, yeah. Um, the glottal stop. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the the ground is possessed by a wendingo, which is a wendingo is a spirit uh, popular in Algonquin tribes, where it is. Uh, first of all, and this actually is mentioned in the uh, in the movie. It smells bad for one. Yeah. Number two, it possesses humans, and it makes them gives them like an just an unparalleled hunger for destruction, either through murder or actually more often than not cannibalism, which is only eh, barely touched on in this movie. But um, the the fact that it is, you know, it's not like the Micmacs did anything wrong here. And by the way, that that is a real tribe. Um, that uh, although eh, not overly, they're more Canadian. Yeah, they're not. It's Maine is a bit of a stretch, but yeah. um, but close enough. And uh, so the question is, real quick, if we might as well get into this, is there such a thing as Indian magic? Um, I will say this. Uh, it makes for a very nice, I guess, the same way that uh, Catholicism or Christianity makes for a bridge towards the supernatural yeah. for film uh, and for storytelling's sake. There is, There are some uh, ceremonies and some things, uh, some abilities and things that happen uh, 
in the native culture that would go beyond what would be accepted as possible by modern thought or analysis. Yeah. Um, like what? Well, there are, uh, there, there is the, uh, the case of shape shifting. Uh huh. Um, I actually talked to a, an Arapaho artist and, uh, a little short dude. And, um, he had this beautiful bronze sculpture and it was of a, a native and the native was sort of bringing up, you know, with its, its forearm and, and elbow kind of bringing up its, um, regalia, whatever it was we- wearing in front of its face. And then on its shoulder, there was a, an eagle doing the same thing, lifting its wings. So yeah. it was parallel there. So, um, and the, the sculpture was called shapeshifting. Yeah. Um, so I had the chance to speak with him about it. And I said, I said, you know, I introduced myself and I talked about my background a little bit and I asked him, you know, is this, is this real? And he's like, Oh, he's like, absolutely. He's like, when I woke up, I was six, four this morning. And I was just a little like, you know, five foot four yeah. guy, little tiny. And then he stopped and he looked at me absolutely dead in the eye. And he just said, believe it. And he was absolutely dead serious by my art. Uh, right. <laughs> it was $20,000 by the way, the, the sculpture. <laughs> so that wasn't going to happen. Um, get someone to buy my art. I also have a friend named Andy Abida. Who's a <laughs> so wait. So just this guy saying, believe it in shape shifting. That's all you needed. Well, I mean, he seemed so he very, presented enough evidence there. I did, I did that the that. physical act of, uh, <laughs> Uh, 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 moving your matter from one form to another. Is it at will? Can they control it? Well, some you didn't might, ask any of these questions. The, the, and, and, and the real question is, is, is it, is it indeed shape shifting or is it a series of abilities performed by a human that takes on an ability that would be normally outside of a human's range, but still within the human like what flying? Maybe, maybe, right? Maybe, but also, are you going to say yes? A person flew once without the aid of a the, glider, something man-made. There are some Mexican tribes that specifically do believe in in flight. Um, yeah, sure. so that's that's out there. There are certain. There's a. There's. But you don't one, think it's more logical that that's just based on story and a want for it to be real, not or that a connection. Oh, they've just figured out how to do that. I see what you're saying. Like that. Maybe it's just a prolonged metaphor for like identifying with an animal species yeah. to the point of that. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean. Yeah. Or it could be true. <laughs> and if not believing in it, it kind of makes it lose some of its specialness. That makes you know, what you believe unique. Well, and there, and there is something to be said for that in that, like, um, like in a lot of your traditional Asian martial arts, there's all this like mysticism and superpowers and all that stuff. When basically it's just biomechanics, like there's, right. there's nothing supernatural about it all, but that's cool. Exactly. People like the supernatural. So we'll part. take that and apply that to other things. Yeah. But this is real though. <laughs> <laughs> because all- you have a stronger connection to it. Right. Personally. Right. And, but there are other ceremonies where, um, medicine men are like bound and uh like by a series of ropes and whatnot and that um there are like little sparks that happen around the room like uh, electrical sparks that happen and then the uh the the medicine man uh, like is able to undo himself out of the impossible series of knots yeah there's that as well and um (laughs) 
Also, I am actually friends with... So you're saying they are in no way could be what we would refer to as an escape artist. (laughs) Right. But it's different than that. Yeah. Yeah. Not not for show at all. I also have... What's the point of doing that then? Well... To show people you can do it? I can't remember what that specific... I don't want to purpose. I feel mean now. (laughs) No. But I do have a friend. His name is Andy Abide. He's Isleta Pueblo. And I met him when I was very, very young. And I was uh, probably 15. And I met him and... And we were talking. It was a very, very spiritual conversation. I remember as we were talking, it, it was almost as if the the rest of the room just sort of disappeared. And it was it was a very interesting experience. And um, you know, I was talking to him about the frustration of you know learning about you know the things that happened not just two hundred years ago, but you know forty years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he was really an interesting person. And he, um, I actually contacted him like decades later when my mom got cancer to because he had become a, a holy man in his tribe literally employed to reverse curses and these sorts of things that when people would put them on them that he would go to their house and and reverse these curses so i asked him about any help for my mother's cancer and you know it, it was interesting the advice that he gave wasn't like here i'll send you this magic tincture or right. whatever but it was more speaking to how to circumvent the psychological aspects of fear or evil or uh, disease yeah. and how tricky it is and how it can trick you into basically it was just keeping a positive mindset. Sure. But, but I mean the way that he spoke to it sounded way cooler. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he probably couldn't cure it unless the cancer was a caused by a curse, right? Well, like it would have to be cursed cancer. Well, and he's like, I can't just curses only. I know that I know that the curses are a specialty, but um, but I I I don't even mean that jokingly. Like that's just something that comes up a lot. Those those southwestern tribes are extremely super uh, superstitious, sure, and, and uh, have those beliefs. But um, no. So in just to wrap this up real quick, in native cultures, the idea of things that we would consider magical are treated very, very seriously and considered very, very real. Sure. Um, Doesn't mean they are. And, and, and that might just be, you know, a cultural belief to some or a reality to others. <laughs> so <laughs> the fun it, thing about magic is it can be whatever you want. Cause you can't repeat it and you can't test it. So it can have any property you want it to have. Right. That's what makes magic. Awesome. And a, a insanely powerful force that can, Bring joggers back to life and give them the power to travel to Chicago, but not into your house in the town he was killed in. If there's one thing the world needs more of, it's joggers. <laughs> don't don't waste them. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. That's uh, it's an interesting. We'll get into more inconsistencies. Right. In but the yeah. Whole Pascal. <laughs> So speaking of that jogger in this movie. Well, let's it, get on to Pascal. Yeah. Um, n- not to be confused with uh, what was the SNL character? Um, the What was it? Uh, like, uh, was it? Headwood Harry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Massive <laughs> Headwound Harry. <laughs> right. Played by Dana Carvey. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> although, I mean, you know, similar in some regards. But um the one thing about this movie that is sort of like an overall metaphor for Stephen King is we've talked about this a little bit, how he can pick these things 
and insert these things in his story that seem so uh, just kind of normal or mundane, but yet it, it he finds things that are creepy. Yeah. And here we have this story that could have existed completely without a ghost jogger. <laughs> right. But the fact that, you know, he's got this sort of like weird sort of mysterious sounding name that he does. And it is a weird name. Yeah. Like, how do you land on that? Right. Because you even when you say it, it sounds like I'm like, am I saying that right, Pascal? Right. Never met anyone named that. Right. And I can't even think of what he might have been playing on to, to get to that. Yeah. But it just sounds a little unplaceable. So, I mean, maybe it works for that. Yeah. Um, and there's never even any like maybe you've got some like creative nickname or something that is attributed to that guy that sounds like it. But in this, it's like Pax Cow, which right. sounds even clunkier. Right. Pascal. Right. So, you know, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, yeah. it's not the strawberry. It's berries. Uh, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's not Johnson. <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. he had to give it some sort of like unplayed unplaceable unique name and that's just something that he's really good at is picking out these things that seem sort of mundane and and insignificant but just inserting it into his stories to give it a little bit more flavor um but you know this movie doesn't need a whole lot of extra flavor because we've got ourselves an indian burial ground that brings things back to life which right. you think would be enough but what i do like about this movie is that uh the setup is as easy as it can be. Yeah. I mean, a rural setting so that, you know, you can incorporate a neighbor, but you don't necessarily have to incorporate a neighborhood. Right. You know, there's one guy across yeah. the street. Um, you have this highway that is heavily traveled by these tanker trucks. So that's all plausible and normal. Um, and, and yet, uh, you know, we don't really need a whole lot of introduction into this bizarre supernatural horror movie other than a family moving into town and shit starts to go yeah. wrong. Yeah. The setup's pretty benign. Yeah. It's simple. I will um, say something I noticed about these trucks, man, they are constantly honking their horns. Yes. Like, and it's, it's not because they see things in the road, obviously, but they're just blaring. Like how often are they blaring those horns? Yeah. Just like ah, that's the worst yeah. part of the trucks, right? The speed um, themselves, yes, they are flying, boy. And uh, think of how bad Max a rural high, like not even a highway. It's not like a highway. It's think, just like a county road. Think of how bad maximum overdrive could have been. Oh man! <laughs> but no, yeah, they're they're just kind of honking. Uh, for no reason. Maybe it's just because, yeah, they're passing some houses or something. I have no idea. Every time they pass, they honk. Right. Um, and yet they ha and still, like, even though it's no different than any other, like, random oil company, there is something <laughs> still sort of, like, weird. Even at the very end, as one of the house sits there smoldering, they, like, honk as they go by, like, your house on fire! Yeah. Hey! Right. <laughs> Wake up! Right. <laughs> That's not normal. You might okay, want to check sorry. that. Go, you're say but um, but yeah, we we get this sort of innocuous beginning where we have this this young family moving into to a home. They're greeted by a very friendly neighbor um, who is very much local, knows the history of the the area, and you know there's some things that I like here. I like um, the the main character played by Dale Midkiff, who I actually really loved when we used to watch this 
way back in the day. There are a couple scenes of extreme emotion, and there's a couple choices that he makes as an actor that I think are really, really interesting and, and very real. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll get to some of those, but he's likable enough. We get introduced to to their the youngest of the family, Gage. Yeah. A uh, little Cute boy. as a butt. Adorable. Miko and, Hughes. And we all think the same thing when we see him, and we see how adorable he is, and we're like, God, why couldn't it have been his sister? <laughs> um, you know, because <laughs> they, they did that in the remake. They recently did they switch this. it. Yeah. yeah. And the Somebody sister does. It. Yeah. Because we're all thinking it. And she gets more tolerable as the movie goes on. But in the beginning, uh, yeah. I mean, what a fucking like whiny brat. But she gets it from her mother. Um, oh, because man. you want to talk about an unlikable character. Yeah. Our first real introduction of any substance to this woman, other than she just gives off a vibe of unlikability, yeah. is the fact that she points out that the pet cemetery sign is misspelled. <laughs> right. And it's like, look, you weren't that lovable to start with. I don't need some like grammar yeah. Nazi bullshit. Like she has to like, like she says it like Judd wrote it. You know, yeah. Like it's just this, fucking... or or that it's the worst travesty that has ever <laughs> right. beset humanity ever. Yeah, like, yeah, lady, this is just like a place kids would like. You know, it's like a special place to them. Lighten up, right? Yeah. Who cares? It says Pet Cemetery. Yeah, also, the sign's a little crooked. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry that it wasn't written on cedar, which is the most resistant wood to the weather and the elements and insects. Because she sorry. was on, I knew her from Star Trek, The Next Generation. She That's played right. Tasha yeah. Yar, but she was like the head of security. She had this stone. Yeah, she's face. cold. Yeah, she's cold. <laughs> this, it's like, she looks identical as she did to that part, except yeah. she wears a dress. Uh, but yeah, just not like, ah, what a, I wish she was my mom. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely not. Not even like, yeah, you can't even be a fun aunt. Like you're just, right. yeah, like a shitty babysitter. Um, but so that we have that, but what I do like about the setup with this family is that there's not, there's not a need for like a ton. Like we don't have to get introduced to them having some like bullshit sort of serving no purpose like them all going into town and meeting more people from town or <laughs> right. they don't it's not bloated it's a very pretty lean movie yeah um and uh and where it we're, did clip along i did notice that yeah it's still an hour 45 but i was like oh we're already like this bit oh okay oh we're here already holy shit oh we, we're at like this there's a half hour left how's that we know what the pet cemetery is within the first what 15 minutes yeah so that's good and yeah, like he can't wait to tell him right the pet cemetery and he being fred gwynn yeah fred motherfucking gwynn who they did not want the studio didn't want because people he was like well or they were like people are just going to think of him as herman from the monsters and they're not going to take him seriously and no we can't use him but the director fought very very hard for him and thank god for it because he's probably well he is the strongest part of this movie easily by yeah. far um, and he does a wonderful job of being um, very sincere, um, but also there, there's nothing I wouldn't call him quirky. No, but Spokesy. you just want to watch this guy. Yeah, like he's a neighbor I'd probably talk to. Yeah, if he were my neighbor. Nice full head of white hair, great you know New England accent. Yeah, um, 
tall, how tall is Fred Gwynn? He is he's huge. Gotta be. He's six four at a minimum. Yeah, I'll look it up. I'll um it but up. really, really likable guy from the from the get-go. And even though, yes, most of us saw Fred Gwynn in the Munsters, and then the next time we saw him was Pet Cemetery. <laughs> like it's not that he didn't do things yeah. in between. Now I was a uh Huge Car 54 Where Are You fan okay. that I found on Nick at Night. Okay. Uh, him and uh, the guy who played Tootie was like, that show ruled. <laughs> Find yourself some old Car 54 Where Are You. So good. I don't know how tall he was. I can't find it. Well, I, he's yeah, he's tall, taller than most. Anyhow. Yeah, he's huge. It doesn't take much to be tall. He's got to be like 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, he's a big guy. Um, but, you know, it has this sort of gentle quality about him. Um, he's engaging. And he, I think the most engaging part about him in this movie, six five, he's six five, six five, yeah. is that he takes to the family as quickly as he as he does. Like he doesn't, they don't do any, they don't throw in any nonsense about him being lonely or his wife dying or whatever, anything like that. We don't know yeah. much about him other than like he just feels like kind of really sort of protective of this family. Like he's he's probably very happy that they moved in. Yeah, um, and so we we get that warmth from him. We very quickly get introduced to the pet cemetery, and um, so the groundwork is which laid. is a which they pretty much are like this is where everyone comes to bury their pet that gets hit by these trucks that drive by, right? Which first makes, off, someone install a fucking fence, Let's put a fence up, right? <laughs> yes, either picket or electrical. I mean, something. any any number, something. Yeah. Let's make some attempt here, right? Um, a lot of pets there. I've, as they, he says, they're not all because there are some fish and yeah. whatnot. Uh, his own dog he buried there. Yeah, it's a really nice slow unravel of the story. Like here, we have this guy chomping at the bit to um, tell the family about the pet cemetery, show it to him, uh, pretty quickly introduce uh, you know Lewis to the land beyond the pet cemetery. I yeah. mean, this is all happening really fast, but at the same time, he's only letting out as much as he needs to let out. Well, I don't know. See, that's where I disagree. That's, this is where I'm starting as I'm watching it now. I'm like, why, why, why are people doing what they do? Cause yeah, he warns Lewis. He's like, Hey, that, you know, you don't want that cat to die. And of course the cat gets hit while the family's off at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because the father in law does not like him. He's like, I never wanted my daughter to marry a physician. Yeah. The father in law, <laughs> by the way, doesn't like much. No, no. He's Jesus. Yeah. Uh so, you know, the cat dies. And it's not like Lewis is like, What am I gonna do? I'm gonna have to find a replacement or something. Like he's not like, How do I fix this situation? Judd is immediately like, follow me. I'll br- we'll bring it back to life. <laughs> right. Just come on. I know you didn't ask. Come here. <laughs> yeah. I was also willing- this place. Pure evil. Pure evil where I'm taking you. But I got to take you right now. Just before you moved in, I was willing to go to surrounding towns to see who else had lost a pet, only to introduce them to the pet cemetery. Well, that's what I was thinking. How many families has he introduced that fucking cemetery to who well, have lived it, across the street from him? It could be that, or it could just be that he does make mention a couple of times of how old he is. Maybe he just wants to find some sort of meaning in his life by introducing an evil supernatural force to an otherwise like healthy young family. I, yeah. I I don't know, but I mean, maybe, maybe that's his reason that he just, he just wants to help. Them. He just wants to be nice to these people. <laughs> but is that helping them? He knows how that, how bad that is. He's like, well, yeah, I did it. 
and my dog came back an insane <laughs> hellhound. Yeah. But hey. here... Kind of cute as it was, though. When it, when it brought... This is your daughter's cat. Like, the daughter's going to be around this Hellcat now. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. But, but, you know, he does make, he does say one thing, and I'm not saying that it excuses everything. But he does say something where, you know, a man doesn't always know why he does what he does. And yeah. I think what he's trying to say there is that, yeah, it was a mistake for me to introduce you to this, but I don't know. See, this is where I feel like I miss out on a lot by not reading these Stephen King books versus just watching the movies. Because yeah. Stephen King really is good about filling in those gaps. Like That's true. Maybe there is something like Stephen King would have taken the time to talk about how, you know, and I'm just making this up, but like, you know, uh, maybe, you know, Judd also had a, a daughter who had a pet or something like that. or what. I mean, he's good at filling in these gaps that propel people to do the things that they do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that gets lost in movies. Like you see them do the yeah, things. Yeah, but you could still write, you know, any just a couple lines. Just him being, just Lewis being like, oh, what do I do? How do yeah. I fix this? Right. Oh, no. But it's pretty much they literally peel the thing off the road. He's like, follow me. Right. No, that's true. And and it's funny that you say put in a couple lines. I'm because just going to throw this in the garage and bury it later. Like, like he's already got a solution. He should knows be what problem he's solved. Do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and and it's funny that you do say that because it, what we should mention that it is Stephen King that actually wrote the screenplay. Right. So I mean he had he can't blame anybody um, if if there was something that was missing. Um, but yeah, we very yeah. Quickly, it's like I know I read this book and I I don't know if I said this before we started recording, but yeah, like when I. And maybe it is because he's filling in more, but a lot of these just like things that happen, like the Pascal being a ghost thing. When you're reading the book, you're just like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Interesting. Yeah. But in this, I'm like, why? Why is he a ghost? Why is this ghost interacting with him? Why does this ghost interact with his other family members, but they can't see him, but he can physically interact with the world around them? Why can he travel <laughs> states away, but he's not allowed at their house? Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, if we're just asking questions here, why bring back that cat? Because I'm not convinced the church was ever really that nice no, of a cat. No, just kind of seemed gr like <laughs> a grumpy a shitty cat. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and, no, and, and so and Judd's reasoning is like, I didn't want to have your daughter have to deal with death yet. And as a parent, you're like, well, they have to. Like, that's kind of the part of the pet ownership is uh, eventually the pet will die. And that's a good way to help your child deal with death and understand death instead of them having to have their first experience with death, be their baby brother getting splattered by a tanker truck on the road. I would much rather, excuse me, I'm like belching, but I'm vamping because Tim's peeing. Uh, I'd much rather have my kid deal with the death of a pet than have to wait for the death of a family member. Uh, so I, uh, think it was a bad idea for him to take him to the, uh, pet cemetery, you know, it was a bad idea. Okay. Good tips back. Uh, so yeah. Did you hear what I was saying? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, I mean, and, it, and it's, uh, so yeah, essentially we <laughs> have, I would love, I would have, or I would have loved the scene then after Gage dies, Judd to be like, oh, sorry, I didn't see that coming. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess this will be a bit harder on a. The the cat thing didn't turn out very well, so we should probably stop here. Um, but no, they don't. Um, 
but you know, I will say though that like we're talking about this this movie being lean that like what you're saying about teaching a, a child about death we are introduced to this character of what is essentially like a, I don't know, I wouldn't call her a maid, but just kind of a, a maid, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, I believe her name is Missy. And she's um, like church, not happy ever. <laughs> and uh, she's a really, one of those people though, but I've, the sad thing is that I've known people like this, people that are just perpetually oh. just like, in a bad mood and grumpy. And it's kind of like, they just don't know any other way to be. Yeah. And that's this caretaker. She eventually kills herself. And I'm convinced that at least in the movie, that her only purpose is to serve as death, like for them to talk about (laughs) with, you know, the, the young daughter. And, um, you know, she talks about like, whatever, you know, what if something happened with the, you know, my cat and God can have his own cat and he doesn't have to take mine. Now that brings up an interesting uh, topic. I know I was ripping a little bit on the daughter deservedly. So um, in the beginning of the movie, she does actually, you know, have some kind of really heart wrenching moments later, but, and I, again, this, I go back to maybe the book has more, but boy, does she seem psychologically linked to the happenings of this movie. Yeah, that's yeah, that's another I mean, she's thing that she, you excuse while reading the King book, but in this I'm like, why? Why does she why is she having visions of very specific things? Yeah, it's, that she's never exhibited before. Right. It she yeah, it's she has the shining. It's literally what <laughs> right. she's exhibiting is the shining. Like she's getting these premonition of things that, you know, have happened or will m- mostly what will happen. Or what is happening. But um, so, yeah, pretty quickly we we get into this where the cat dies. We see that that, that it's unsuccessfully brought back. I mean, well, successfully, but, you know, it's not it's even less cuddly, uh, you know, as it was before. But then what I really do love, I love the Pascal scene, though, because it's so outside of the rest of the the framework of this movie, because really we have. God, the whole thing takes place at the pretty much the family's house and and Judd's house. So here we get a a very, very brief introduction to um, Dr. Creed at his his office. It's literally his first day on the job. Yeah. And in comes this jogger with this massive head wound and um, and the introduction of the character of Pascal. So that's kind of nice. It's just a little wake up call to us as as audience members that um, it's like, whoa, this is different. And it's it's very especially I saw this in 4K, which is like <laughs> the only way you could film this movie more clearly is just to for my eyes to see the things that were happening right, for it to be in front. Of yeah. You. For the actors to be performing this in a live performance and me to just be watching it. That's would be the only clearer this could get. And it almost even took away from it a little bit. It um, it was so clear that it kind of looked like when you watch a show that um, let's see, like. TMZ is on the set of a right. movie and you see them filming the action, yeah, but it and looks then you're like, Oh, that looks like office shit. building. I'm used to. It just looks like a TV set, right? Yeah. yeah. It looks like a TV set, but then you see it in the film and it's like, yeah, you're looks, in that cinematic yeah. universe. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was super crispy. Clear it's all about frame rate. Tim. Is that what it is? Yeah, it is. Well, it, I, I, you're better off without it. Or yeah, I got to come fix your TV. You do. You do. You really do. <laughs> I don't um, want you watching future movies in this. Because it does. Uh, it ruins that high frame rate. Man, fucking ruins a movie. Nothing ruins it a movie. It does. Faster. It really. I mean, I guess I, my eyes sort of adjusted to it. 
But um, it did, like, in the beginning, it was kind of like, this is sort of like, and I, I don't mean this, you know, one way or the other, but it was like a Mexican soap opera. Yeah. Like, it was like We say Canadian, vivid. but you more oh, okay. identify right. Mexican. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. yeah an American. Uh, but it is that very soap opera yeah. look. Yes. And um, I got used to it eventually, but it was like really kind of awesome in that Pascal scene because that head wound is extra vivid. I bet. Um, so that was pretty cool. But we get this connection to that, and then he's introduced as this ghost. And you're right. It is a little bit, uh, I mean, it's a device that helps us through the movie, I suppose. But um, it does kind of seem a little bit out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not overly explained. I mean, the for God's sake, the pet cemetery is explained to death. Yeah. But this random like he jogger is Yeah. Like, maybe if that guy had a connection with him before or with that area or something like if we found out he used to live in that house fine okay cool but just because i mean he kind of is like well as a ghost he's like lewis you tried to help me before i died yeah which he wasn't dead yet when he came in come on man if you his brain is hanging out of his head right well, if you remember, there is a there well, is Lewis a, is doing nothing to help that situation. There is a, what what saves it though is that there is a line where Lewis is giving out medical orders as if there is some saving him. Yeah, and I didn't really catch what was said to him, and he's like, "I know, but but for God's sake, we got to do it by the rules." Meaning, like, yes, I'm calling for an ambulance to take him to another hospital. I know he's not going to make it. I know he's dead right now, but we got to at least try. We got to do right. what we're supposed to do. So I think Pascal, as a uh, in-between entity, appreciated that uh, level of customer service. <laughs> All right, but yeah, that, like that's the most we get. Yeah, the, which yeah, is a stretch at best. Yeah, there's not much there. Um, and the one thing about this movie, though, that I will say that that it succeeds very well in is that for it being supernatural, um, it doesn't kill itself by really, really shitty effects. In fact, whatever effects are in this movie are very practical yes. and very gross. Yes. Even, you never Especially. thought... Especially. Yeah. Well, this, Tim, I will say this. This movie, as corny and as much as I didn't like it now, there's a bit in this movie that is probably one of the only things that scare me as an adult, and it is the sister Zelda. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was which like that was a bit where even I even remember going to someone's house as a senior. They were watching this movie. I turned away for that part. I could not look at it. It disturbed me and disgusted me so much. And it was hard. I put off watching this movie as long as I could because I knew I would have to watch that scene. And I, I don't think I'd watched it since like high school. I was just going to speak to church being pulled off the frosted ground (laughs) and sticking to it. But yes, if we want to jump to Zelda, you're goddamn right. Look, there was a time in my life where I think it was our friend Johnny. um, We all had a mutual freak out to that that character in that scene um, just because it is so terrifying. There was a time in my life, and by time in my life, I mean like from when I first saw it till probably still now, that even if you just were like in the corner of a room sort of not facing me and then turned around like hunched over and came like sort of running up to me, I would absolutely just freak out with chills through my entire body. And it's because of Zelda. 
what an amazing choice to have a male play this role. Yeah. Um, so that it, not to say that, um, I don't, I don't know enough about spinal meningitis to know like how much it affects somebody completely. Right. But there was something, uh, just really unsettling about, yeah, about this. It felt like the frame was boxier. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, like a, it was just very uh, jagged and angular. Yeah, just picture like a less healthy Iggy Pop. Yeah. Uh, basically. <laughs> like the long stringy hair, the sort of like very thin gaunt face. But I mean, there was something so It's the it's the lips for me. Yeah. The mouth. Yeah. <sighs> it is yeah. And you're right, one of the most terrifying characters in in all of horror for me. Yeah. And it really is in there for no apparent reason like it is uh, i'm sure it was like a cool part of the book like a little filler thing yeah but to be like this is important to the my movie story right no that was just a scary part and then they can reference it later because she like hallucinates the sister why i don't know i don't know how the magic works but it's like but you're right though it's like even the way that it's set up which okay i'll go with it because it's serving a purpose and it's achieving that purpose but the parents as we know them, Rachel's parents, who we are introduced to later, um, seem like, while, you know, shitty, um, yeah. seem like relatively Well, I can't say people. parents, because did the mom even ever have a line? No. Like, yeah. Right. Like, they, he did not treat any of his female characters very good in this movie. But they seem kind of like, d- despite being not the friendliest people in the world, like normal enough. Yeah. Normal enough to where they wouldn't just hide away a girl in a room with like nothing on the walls, <laughs> right. like a freestanding shitty ass bed that looks like it was from like one of Al Capone's fucking like brothels and hasn't been touched since. With, Good like, point. Like it's it's cre- OK. Maybe you have like a back. Maybe you put her in another bedroom in the house. But would you put her in like comfortable the scariest room that you can <laughs> right. find in your living quarters? Um, but that's yeah. a great point. I did not think about that. You don't think like those are the same parents, right? Yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy, dude. right? Oh, the that dad, dad is, is the just hateable. Yeah, I love he comes up and starts at Gage's funeral, starts yelling at Lewis, and then when Lewis retaliates, everyone's like, "Lewis, calm the fuck down." And you know, it's your th- son's funeral, and I love that actor, that funeral director. Yeah, uh, I actually kind of love that guy because he has some sort of like. Out of nowhere, like genuine seriousness about <laughs> right. him, where it's like somebody better listen to this guy. Like he's he's actually really awesome and effective to where you feel the gravity of the scene because it is just so crazy. And then when you see the casket bounce up and you see you the know leg, Gage in there, yeah. so okay, let's talk a little bit about that. Not that <laughs> scene in particular, but Gage. I and I knew just like you, like you, you don't want to watch the movie because of Zelda. And you also don't want to watch the movie because you know it's coming with Gage. And I told myself, I'm like, we've seen this movie plenty of times. There's no reason for us to just not watch this as a casual viewer. We're doing a podcast here. You don't have to sob like an (laughs) infant when you see this scene. But Gage's death scene is so well done. It is very well done. Because it's, it's simple. It's it's not like some big series of events leads to this tragic thing happening. It's as simple as a kite getting away. You know, a, a dad turns around for a second. He's trying to, you know, uh, shift his focus between two children. 
the other one runs and then we get this great sort of bird's eye view of the road and we realize just how close gauge is getting yeah because in the beginning it's like well shit they're in this big field they're having this sort of picturesque picnic out there in this meadow and but then when we see the scene we're like oh fuck he's getting real close to the yeah. road and um Cause here's the thing with kids if you don't have kids if you're not looking at them they're fast yeah i had one time I, I we uh me and a friend we took our daughters to the water park right and we took them over to this little elephant slide you know this things like three feet high they just kind of get you know climb four steps slide down this elephant slide and so uh, my buddy and I are standing there talking, and he's like, oh, we should go try this slide. Like, they could sit on the things with us. It's so like one of the bigger slides, but they could do it. I'm like, cool. And I look down. My kid is gone. Yeah. Gone. And man, I, you know, we're right there. I was right there. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't like the neglect anything. Gone, like gone from my sight. Never felt panic like that. Oh, and she had already gotten up the tower of this other slide across the fucking courtyard or wherever, yeah. you know, whatever you call it. So it's like, yeah, like I could totally believe now watching that scene. Like, yeah, you turn away for a second and you're like, everything's fine. I'm just going to talk to these people for a second. And then what uh, seemed like half a second. It's been a few seconds and your kid's already in the middle of the road. <laughs> yes. It, and it can happen that quickly. And it's that, that horrible feeling of like uh, your organs are simultaneously sinking and creeping up to your throat at the <laughs> right. same time. Um, but it's, it's an awful feeling. I remember I, I decided one day just randomly when my girls were babies that um, I was just going to, I was going to go off of my attention deficit medicine. I was just going to stop taking it. I don't need this stuff. Yada, yada. And so it was like the day that I stopped taking it. <laughs> and we lived at this house that was kind of by a major road, but it was this big farmhouse and, and there wasn't really much around it other than a, you know, there was like a Walmart. There was a lot of activity around it, but the house itself was just sort of out of place. Yeah. And um, I was out in the front with them. And then the next thing I knew, I don't even know what I was doing, but I looked up and they were just gone. Both of them completely oh, gone. God. And I looked around the corner of the house, which was the only place that they could be. And they were not there. And then that feeling sinks in. And it's just like, I I do. I have no idea where they are. Right. It's like when you lose something and it's like, it's not like, well, it might be here. It might be there. You're like, I don't have a fucking clue yeah. where my phone is or my keys <laughs> or whatever. But it was my children. Right. <laughs> They have been found, by the way. Uh, I just I, I want to put everybody's <laughs> last cities. week. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, in the uh, Micmac Reservation <laughs> in Northern Maine. But uh, no, they. Um, it is a sinking, terrible feeling, and it's filmed to such great extent. I'm going to blaze through this because I am not going to get bogged down by it. Other than Gage is killed, we see like a slow motion shoe roll. We see this flash to like pictures of him as a baby. We see this great slow motion collapse to his knees uh, where Dale Midkiff is just screaming no. And then, and it's, and it was those pictures that we weren't expecting. Like we're expecting the collapse, we're expecting the yell, but just the insertion of like just what his thoughts are immediately, like, all those baby pictures and, and everything. I'm going to stop. I'm literally <laughs> going to stop myself right now. I'm just saying I was tears were oh, just streaming so down my face. Like not sometimes I'll get worked up. Like you can feel when your eyes yeah. well up. This was just active tears just going down my face. And I, it was just so affecting. 
Um, and I remember being even affected by that so uh, intensely as as a teenager and not yeah. even having any kids yet, but just I was really I I didn't get too emotionally wrapped up because I was really watching that sequence because I was like because I remembered a shot which they do have later in the movie and I thought it was in this sequence where it's like you see him and the fucking truck like coming up on him and it's all in the same shot it doesn't look composited and that's what I was thinking I was like oh that was like some shitty composite spot shot that like as a kid. I thought looked good, but when I watch it now, I'll be like, Oh, I could see how they did. But no, I was like, Holy shit. Like it looks like this truck is on top of this kid. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, like talking about missing some of the things from the book. I remember our friend Johnny, which, you know, he deserves mention in these episodes because he's such a huge fan (laughs) of Stephen King. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he told me that in the book, like in his true to Stephen King fashion, like, it's it's a simple explanation, but he talks about that truck driver where it was like, for whatever reason, on that particular day, he just felt like speeding. Like he just felt like feeling the open road and really just it almost feels like even the driver himself was compelled by something yeah. that was beyond him. That was, you know, and, and Judd speaks to that a little bit where he thinks that by just introducing uh, Lewis to the McMac burial ground that it, it kind of like, now you have to pay for that. Like, we'll give you this, but now you're going to have to pay. Right. Um, so that's probably, I'm sure even creepier in the book. And I, I haven't read enough Stephen King to know, but I know that pet cemetery seems to be at least for most Stephen King fans, probably in the top five. Um, I know yeah, a lot of people, people like love it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, maybe I should read it someday, but um, nonetheless, it's, it is a tragic, Tragic death, uh, you know, amplified by the fact that, again, this kid is just as cute as can be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how, the, I mean, it's funny. Like, I was even trying to figure out how they got the performance out of this little kid. Because he was three. Yeah. He was three years old. Um, but you can kind of tell that, like, if he got one line right, you know, they might repeat it a little bit. Or they're very crafty with, like, you think, kind of like in Chainsaw, where people think in their minds that they see the hook go into the body. Right. But you don't. You just, that's just your mind's eye. Yeah. Where it's the same thing with this. Like, you're like, God, how did they get this kid to do all this? But it's very cleverly edited. Yeah. To make him seem a lot more menacing than he, than he is when he gets uh, possessed or when he comes back wrong. But that's like, speaking of that, is one of the more affecting things in this movie is when Judd tells the story of when a human was buried in the pet cemetery and comes back. Yeah. And some of it is a little laughable because the guy's a little all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. Timmy. He's like a Mungo. Yeah. (laughs) But what I never saw or never heard, I should say until I saw it in uh, the closed captioning is that when Timmy you know, is uh, when when Judd is um, when Judd is telling the story to Lewis about when somebody did in fact bury a human there, and they came back. Um, Timmy is actually saying some things while the house is burning because the people, including a young Judd in the town, decide that this abomination, this Timmy, or what used to be Timmy, yeah. that has come back wrong or different, at very least that they need to take care of it and basically kill it. 
Um, so they end up burning down the house of. Which I don't know why they like, have to burn down the whole fucking house. Yeah. Also, give the dad a chance to get outside. Right. Like, he didn't yeah. seem like he wanted to burn alive in there. But what Timmy is saying is, while the house is burning, and it's like he's sort of like fighting his dad and preventing his dad from getting out. But his Timmy is saying, "No, dad, hate living." Yeah, hate living. Yeah. So yeah. So like, I guess. And that was really creepy to me because it was almost like he was saying, like, I hate this whatever existence it is yeah. that I have now, um, which that was really creepy to me. Yeah. Because you think it. But never carries over into the other. That's another one of those things where I'm like, I wish there was some consistency there. Like, is that part of the motivation of, like, I hate being alive? Well, right. Well, and, and it kind of reminded me of Return of the Living Dead where when they finally get that upper torso of a woman where she actually explains to them that it hurts to be dead. And that's why they eat the, the brains because it makes them feel better. Um, It makes the pain go. Hey, it's it's throwback episode. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, so you're right. I mean, that, that probably would have filled in a few gaps. One thing that you and I were talking about, it's very hard to articulate, but we talked about how upon like a, a viewing after all these years that it sort of felt like a TV movie. It, yeah. And it, and I think it speaks to a, I don't even know the right word, a sort of flimsiness, I guess. Like, I don't even know the right word for it, but there's something to where this movie feels like if it was going to have the full impact that it could, it should have been a little bit more grounded and solid, but it seems flimsier and thinner than it should have been. I don't yeah. even, those words don't even make sense, but if you, yeah, but I know what you're yeah. talking about. Right. Because yeah, when you said that to me, I was like, that was, that's a perfect description. Cause yeah, while watching this, it just feels like, yeah, it's like, it's a, a veneer of something that could be a lot better. Some people might say it's airy. Uh, yeah, almost like a it's it, it it's the different no substance to it. There's some cool seeds and bits and I like the idea, but it's just I don't know, I'm never really impacted by anything. The death of a 3-year-old sure, but what sure. fucking monster isn't? Right. And the thing of it is is that it's I think this might be a good way to explain it. Let's say you had fantastic quality in your writing, your directing, your actors, your crew, all of the elements are there and all of the effects are there and all of the, maybe even the money is there. Okay. Everything is in place. And maybe you had planned a shoot that was like two months and now you have to get it done in three weeks. (laughs) That's kind of what it is. It's not that the it's not that the substance isn't there enough to do it, but it feels hurried somehow. Not to say that they left anything out or whatever, yeah. but it feels like what would be the product of something where there is a lot of quality and and it and it could be there, but it's just uh, rushed through yeah. and cranked out. It lacks some cohesiveness. Yeah. yeah, and just some sort of like the sort of groundedness that comes from. Okay, let's try this. Okay, how how can we do it better? How can we strengthen it? How can we, you know, make it fuller? Yeah. Um but but holy god, there's a whole lot of horror movies that are worse than this. Oh, sure. 
I mean, j- oh yeah, I'm not saying this movie's bad, right? Nor am I. But I think that it's. I'm glad that we're not just sticking to nostalgia and saying like, oh yeah, this is a great movie just because we we thought it was when we were 16. Yeah. Um, because the whole last half hour still, I feel, holds up. I did also find it a little inconsistent, of course, because, excuse me, uh, there's a whole, you know, there's a bit where after he buries the cat, and Judd is like, that's your cat now. Like, whatever you bury is yours, right? So then why would Gage, when he comes back, like, why wouldn't he be attached then to Lewis? Why does he like go across the street and do shit and like trick the mom into coming there? Like it feels like then that's like a whole disconnected thing. Yeah. Or, or you're right. I thought the same thing. Wouldn't it have been like a little bit cooler if we're going to play on that? Like maybe have church be shitty to everybody else, but like come up to Lewis. Right. You know, something like that, that like, like keeps that, that, I don't want to say narrative, but that angle going. Also, with that, why then would Judd have him bury the cat? Because he'd be like, well, it's not your daughter's cat anymore. Now it's your cat. Right. All the things that Judd should have said earlier. Right. It should have been the title of this movie. Um but but it is it is still creepy. There's some really good um and I don't know. I I almost kind of want Judd to be a little bad. Like he's been feeding this graveyard with people because even at the beginning gage almost gets hit at the very beginning of the movie right and he scoops him up he's like not today yeah so that would have been a nice little foreshadow it being like yeah judd has actually uh been responsible for the death of several animals and people that yeah. have then been buried in that burial ground and maybe yeah. he has some sort of connection there but no he's just a fucking scared old man who's you know who dies at the hands of a zombie baby Right. And boy, does he ever. Which man, I mean, oh, yeah. The Achilles cut is one of the. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's worse than I then remember. They're like, you're like, oh, nothing could be worse than that. And then he's sliced through the corners of his mouth. And you're just like, oh, that is worse. That's it's much two, worse. It's the two <laughs> kings of slashes. The, the two worst things that you would want to have happen. And, and, the, and the Achilles slash. Was worse than I remember because it's really a saw. So it's a deep. deep. He yeah. gets in oh, there. He gets all the way through it. it, and then you're right. The the slash through the mouth. Those are like the two most vulnerable places that you yeah. wouldn't want to get slashed. Um, how powerful though is this child? That's my other thing. Well, Do they all of a sudden have superhuman strength because not hard. Even if he's cut my Achilles, if I'm six five, I'm batting that fucking kid away. Yeah, I'm picking him up with one arm and tossing him through the window. You know, I, I something as we're as we're getting more and like towards the end of of the film itself. One thing I will say is, and again, it's not that he's perfect, but Dale Midkiff does a pretty good job of not in a caricature way, uh, sort of losing his grip. Um, like you can see him sort of steadily, kind of. Um, well, just going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you see that and it's done gradually. You can see he seems like I think he's well cast. He seems like a real even keeled, like a uh, logical person that that would be a good doctor or whatever, you know. Um, 
But he has some really, really nice moments. Probably one of my most favorite moments of him is such a small little scene. It's when Ellie, his daughter, is, you know, uh, having a sort of premonition about something's wrong with church. Yeah. And he's talking to her on the phone and he's already buried church and he already, I, I don't know if church has come back yet, but he's at least buried church. Yeah. And Ellie's talking to him on the phone and she is like, you know, um, like, oh, and can you kiss him goodnight for me? And he's already thinking like, I'm talk, I'm lying to my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, her cat is dead. I have buried it in an Indian burial ground <laughs> in hopes that it will come back. And he does this. The only word is vacant. He does this vacant, beautiful line reading. And I'm not going to try to recreate it because he, he does it so well. But the line is, yuck, kiss your own cat. But but he does it in a such a like removed way. Yeah. That you can see his his mind just swelling with all the things that he's thinking, but he delivers it so beautifully. Like he, other actors might have read that line in like a "Hey, I'm going to keep up the facade." Like, yeah, kiss your own cat, you know. But he does this sort of like I'm trying to say the right thing. Yuck, <laughs> kiss your own cat. Like just so not there. It's really well done. Yeah. So the, so the guy's good. Um. I do think that we've talked about how uh, his wife, Rachel, is is sort of unlikable. I think the editing did her a lot of credit because when she's retelling her Zelda story, it's very melodramatic. Oh, yeah. But what saves it is that we're actually getting the footage of Zelda. Yeah. So that but it's like, she's never told, like she's never told that story before. Right. So that's, that's, a you know, leaves a lot to be desired. But um, it feels like a like an end of a movie reveal. Then I get it that you're that emotional about it. But just like here's my story of death. Yeah, and and am I say that wouldn't be traumatic as a small child. But but am I right about this too? Like what you were saying about if the ground, if when you bury something, it 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 becomes yours if it wasn't already. Am I right in remembering this that the very first place that gauge goes is into judd's house no because he goes home and gets the scalpel gets home to get the scalpel yeah. to then what kill to then judd? go kill judd yeah but why why that great question too yeah that doesn't make it there's scene, nobody I else guess. to kill i guess yeah but it's either um, him or the dad and if he kills the dad it's kind of over right <laughs> right right so that's kind of a but little yeah then he like tricks the mom like i'm not gonna be like he's a child because he's a fucking demon baby at this point right so yeah if you're gonna be smart that's fine that's fine but yeah that i don't understand like he kind of has this disembodied voice you can't really tell where he is he, like he seems to have these yeah. ethereal abilities that other things that just kind of physically came back from uh, all the other tales we've had of how this burial ground works yeah the and then she like hallucinates zelda but it's really gauged like yeah why <laughs> Well, is I, she really see is he able to project as Zelda or is she just like seeing that for some reason? Right. I will say this. It, it it now this is just a technical thing. You're right about that being confusing. But what I do think was a great choice was because you and I harp on a lot of ADR. A lot of the ADR in this movie like whether it's like uh Judd and Lewis going up to the the burial ground and we're you know 
as a viewer removed from the scene. We're getting this sort of aerial view of them, but we're yeah. hearing them talk. They add like an echo effect to it, which makes it sort of like all the things that are being said right now have a sort of mystical quality to them. Yeah. Like that. They do a nice job with that. Um, but uh, and we're far away from them. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Maybe it is an echo by the time I guess that's right. <laughs> but uh, so that's handled well. Um, but you're right. There is a it gets a little bit confusing. And then on top of all of it, for God's sake, Rachel uh, Lewis's wife, ultimately, like when we see her dead, she's hanged. Yeah. So did that kid. That was my other question. Yeah. Because yeah, she like falls out of the like the hatch that goes up to the attic. Does he have the fast twitch muscle fiber strength to be able to like hang his mother? Right. A, yeah. He knows no. how to tie a noose, hangs his mother from it, and has obviously climbed up there. But then weren't all the stairs busted? It was. I swear that's what you were seeing as he was entering that hallway. Like the attic stairs had been broken or something. I don't know. That just that part made no sense. And then he like does the hilarious doll. This doll jumps out of the top onto Lewis. <laughs> They tussle. Yeah. I do love the, like, he hits him with the injection. He's just like, not fair. Yeah, no fair. No fair. No fair. Yeah, it's adorable. The kid's adorable. The even, laugh is even, cute. The evil yeah. laugh is so cute. And, the um, you know, I played with, <laughs> yeah. I'm so congested right or now. Or the, uh, the, I played with Judd. I played with Mommy. Now I want to play with you. I want to play with you. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah. Even as he's, you know, demonic. You. Yeah, he's he's adorable. I, lo- I love that kid. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's far more that works in this movie than doesn't work. It's just that um, it's just not as strong or as centered of a movie as I remembered it being. Yeah. Like, it's just um, I, I, I don't I don't think it's right outside of nostalgia to place it as some sort of like, you know, tentpole horror film that uh that is like you know up there with the the upper echelon of like these you know the exorcist or Texas chainsaw massacre or whatever i will say this for it though that as far as just good old-fashioned creepy scary moments yeah it's got them yeah it does i mean it 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 has levels of creepiness now it 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 struggles very hard to make dirty feet the scariest thing you've ever seen in your life in one scene but yeah dude like i was thinking that he like is trying to hide because yeah he has this dream where pascal takes him out to the graveyard essentially and he wakes up and he's got muddy feet like he really was outside then he like secretly like shoves the laundry into the chute like are you doing the laundry dude because i feel like your wife's doing the laundry and she's going to see that anyway yeah like there's no hiding there. or it's your maid that may or may not have hanged oh, herself yeah, that's by this right. point the maid well if she was got still the alive. housekeeper she would see it never yeah. mind never but mind. if she's even still alive i don't remember if that happened before or after but man well, if i stripped the bed for any reason my wife would be suspicious but it was just like the musical cue though that was like Rah! like as it's just his muddy feet it's like you think it's like the horse head here's something i gotta ask yeah it's something i've always wondered about this movie and even while i was watching it i was like i'm gonna pause it at this part and i was like you know what no i'm not because the movie should be able to tell me i shouldn't have to fucking pause it when he has gage's body and he's taking him to the graveyard and he's you know up on this cliff and there's like a pile of rocks down in this quarry or whatever 
and it like turns into a face and like jumps ah, up yes. at him. Whose face is that? Judd's. That's Judd's face? Why? It's also bloody. Maybe it's Pascal's, but I but when the I, I but the eye that's what I thought, but like I've only seen Pascal with like one like filmed over eye. And I, it's too his face is too long. It, it I would say Fred Gwynn is yeah. the best. I think it's I think it's Judd's and and while that might not make a ton of sense, we have seen scenes prior to that just prior to that where Judd is concerned that he he almost like a, almost like a sort of like a live Pascal, he doesn't want Lewis to do this. Yeah. So it's almost like he this goes back to just what you were saying. If there was some sort of deeper connection to Judd and the burial yeah. ground that like He's sort of like it's like a like a um, Some sort of gatekeeper for it or, or like forced to work for them yes. or something like that. Yes. Like a, some sort of indentured servitude like he he had like they're <sighs> forcing so good. him yeah. to do that. Then then that would make sense. That would be a link. But but it's like, yeah, that's a big supernatural jump for a guy that has no other supernatural <laughs> right. qualities. Yeah. You know, uh, but I thought it was Judd's face. OK. Yeah, it but probably it's, is. But, but I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, because, yeah, because there's only four other people in this movie, so who else could it be? But I'm watching that, and I'm like, okay, there isn't a really like CGI isn't even really much of a thing at this point. Right, but that effect is it's a good effect. How the fuck did they do it? Yeah, I don't know. If they didn't have computers to do it, uh, how, how do you even do that effect? It's really good. Yeah. Um. Speaking of effects, real quick, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that, boy, oh boy, when Rachel, his wife, comes back from the dead. Yeah. Oh, oh man. She walks It looks like in. she's been dead for three months. Oh, yeah. And what and, did Gage do to her face? Yeah. And if, yeah. And if she hasn't been dead for three months, then somebody was just like, I don't know haphazardly using a lot of condiments around oh, her yeah. because she's that just was all oozing. for the effect because they're like he goes he like kisses her and it's way grosser if she's just fucking oozing stuff yeah. other than you know my three-year-old stabbed me with a scalpel a couple times yeah i uh she is it looks gross but oozing. yeah it would thinking about it you're like why and it's like a this? nice uh what would you call that? Like an amber? Like it's not even yeah, blood. It's like, yeah, it's just smooth pus. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, it's just sort of like a, it's like so a viscous yellow yeah. and gold color. Yeah, it's gross. Um, but it's, it's really, really nice. And I mean, it's, it's a nice gross out there right at the end, but um, yeah, that's kind of how the book ends. It doesn't end with her picking up the knife. It's just him sitting in the kitchen and then he hears the door open and you're just like you hear like a gravelly darling. Yeah. Like that's the end of the book. And you don't know. The thing is, is like even if we see what we see in the movie, maybe she's successful in killing him. Maybe she isn't. But what the hell's the fallout of that? Ellie comes back and her dad is just absolutely <laughs> sack of hammers, like completely <laughs> insane. And uh, <laughs> right. what are they going to do now? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like there's no I don't feel like there's any kind of like impending doom at the end. It's just like, yeah, if he dies, then what? Does Rachel wander around? Does she just like go out to get hit by a truck? Yeah. Ellie, you said you wanted to be back in Chicago, so you got your wish. Right. 
So um, live with your the fun grandparents. Sorry for your <laughs> your shitty ass grandpa. Um, what are his parents? They must be dead. Do they mention that? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. There's no mention of his parents. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know how it is. Like married couples get together, and it's like one family is you know That's a little true. bit more prominent. But um, <laughs> sorry, in laws. <laughs> My parents won. Right. <laughs> so, Your family's too big. <laughs> You have plenty of other kids to go around. Yeah, right. Yeah, you hardly remember her, don't you? I mean, yes. Pick another one. Um, but no, it's uh, it's a good movie. I do recommend this movie. I think that it's uh, if again, I I don't know why I always think about these things in the context of somebody that doesn't watch a lot of horror. But if if that was the case, if somebody was like, "Ooh, give me something scary, give me something spooky," like. This would be a nice recommendation for that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got an engaging enough story. It's unique enough. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I still recommend it. Yeah, I recommend it. It's not as like wholehearted as I uh, uh, was ready for it to be. Yeah. Had the uh, technology existed in 1992 <laughs> for us to be doing this podcast, it'd be a much stronger recommendation. Right. But uh, yeah. But yeah, the Zelda part still, I was like, oh, God, just, just watching her eat. It's yeah, fucking revolting. Yeah, it's the worst part. Yeah, but it's good. I mean, it's so effective. Yeah, the the Jed kill is great. It's a lot of good practical effects. Yeah, Pascal. As much as I don't understand why he was there, looks awesome. <laughs> right, he does. He does wear... look so weird, just like these red shorts all the time. These little short shorts. Yeah, well, I, I am. I'm going to say, if nothing else, it is a, a nice proponent of where uh, men's shorts should be. Like, <laughs> right. don't don't let them go all the way down to the knees, guys. Show the leg. You know, give not just ladies. Give give everybody a little something. Show them a little leg. I did. I did see a funny meme post, and it was like the uh, the Oscar race for uh, best featured short is heating up, and it's just a bunch of pictures, different pictures of Will Smith in that new, in the <laughs> King Richard movie. Cause he just has super short tennis shorts on. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, shorts. Yeah. Man, man I, yeah, I don't know if I, men used to wear their shorts real yeah, short. At least be above the knee. <laughs> at least be above the knee. Yeah. Cause like then it's halfway a- down the thigh. I'm like, these are getting pretty short. Yeah. That's the, that's the fun oh, part. Man, though. They were, yeah, yeah, they were, just short enough to back when men were men. Yeah, make yourself a little nervous with yeah. that that hemline there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there are uh, people wear other uh, pants in this movie. Um, but yeah, those shorts are great. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are a variety of pant lengths in this film. Yeah, but his are the shortest. Yes. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, sure. No, look, I mean, I, I could. I'm, I'm again. I want to say real quick. I'm proud of us for not, you know, giving into nostalgia and and you know, touting this movie more than we have. It's still a great movie. It's still worth seeing. It's yeah. still spooky. It's still scary. I bet creepy. it's better than the remake. Still. Oh yeah, I didn't even bother with the remake. The remake had just from what I've seen of the trailers. They really just trying to amp up like how weird is this where the kids wear these like ceremonial animal masks and play like little toy, somber toy instruments as they march off to the animal the pet cemetery Get yeah no yeah get out of here well for me it was just kind of like is fred gwynn in this no okay john lithgow is though <laughs> okay well and he mm. does say dead is better 
Oh, does he? He does. Okay, got to. They do it in the trailer like three times. In case you forgot that line was in the movie. (laughs) Sometimes dead is better. Okay, well, that was Pet Cemetery from 1989. Holy shit, Tim. Guess what? Next week, big week next week. Ooh. Right? Yeah, because not only... Oh, yeah, because I guess this technically wrapped up our Steve's the King Baby mini-series. However, we do have one more. An encore. It's an encore out of the mini-series because it's its own special event because it's our two-year anniversary. Boom. Damn. What movie could be worthy of that? (laughs) Tim, have you ever heard of The Shining? I heard about it before you even said it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. One, I think we've both seen. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But yeah, from 1980, it's The Shining. It's going to be our two-year anniversary show. Super excited about it. I've got some secret surprises for Tim he doesn't know about. Uh, So yeah, like uh, join us for that. That's going to be fun. Uh, also, look at our website, celebratepodcastmassacre.com. Dude, I am so congested right now. Like, my head a little is, bit of, got a little bit of sexy voice going on. Pan- oh, dude. All right. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Slumberpodcast at gmail.com. That's our email. <laughs> Send us a message. Hey, patrons. Thanks a lot. Uh, nice. But yeah, big thanks to our patrons. You help make this show possible. Uh, shoot us a review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know, give us those stars that we've earned. Um, Yeah, and then we'll be back next week for the big uh, anniversary show. Tim, you got anything else to say about Pet Cemetery? Well, if somebody wants to write in and put in some votes for which one they prefer, um, I'm going to put up this competition. In Star Wars, you have Laugh It Up Fuzzball. (laughs) In this movie, you have Fuck You Hairball. (laughs) So whichever one you want to vote for, let us know, and there will be no prizes. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I can get behind that. All right, Tim. Bye. Bye. Bye.